around here. Oh my. Yeah, you really are. People, people are glad when they hear Bill's coming to town. Oh my goodness. So, whatever you got to do, go ahead and do I'm it. I'm going to do okay. it. Do you want one of these or do you want a clip? No, handheld's fine. Handheld. That's the only way you can keep me on a leash. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a microphone with a cord. Well, good evening. Hallelujah. Man, it's good to be back here. Uh, I, my wife is not able to be here tonight. She injured her back, and she's not able to walk very easily. And I just I said to her she wanted to come so bad uh, to see all of you, but see Naomi especially. Uh, we love Naomi. God's given us such a heart for this young lady and for the Anderson family. And, and uh, just I appreciate this ministry here. I appreciate what God's doing. And uh, I get the privilege to get up and speak to you. That that just blows me away. I, I do want to share just a little bit of my testimony tonight. I'm not going to share the whole thing. How many of you have not heard my story? Okay. How many of you have heard it? Uh, there we go. Good. I, I feel better then. Um, I have some CDs of my testimony here with me, of my whole testimony. When you hear the whole story put together... It's, I mean, I look at it and say, how did I do that? But uh, I just want to share just a little bit of it, and it has a lot to do with what I'm going to share tonight. And um, I'm going to share of my conversion. I I was on my way to commit suicide, overdose with heroin. I was a drug addict. I was an alcoholic. I was a professional thief. I was a bank robber. I'd spent four and a half years in prison. Uh, At one point, I was in the Los Angeles County Jail facing 11 counts of armed robbery. And uh, I told somebody the the feds dropped the charges against me, the bank robbery charges, because they said I would go to prison for the rest of my life so they wouldn't have to spend the money to try me for the uh, bank robbery charges. So they dropped the bank robbery charges, and I was facing 11 state armed robbery charges, which would have been life in Folsom Prison, if you don't know what Folsom Prison is. But um, the night they put me in the cell, the guy in the next cell woke up, and they slammed the gate shut on my cell, and and he kind of whispered to me, he said, hey, what are you in for? I said, well, 11 counts of armed robbery, what are you in for? He said, seven counts of murder and 27 counts of conspiracy to murder. And his name was Charles Manson. If you don't know who Charles Manson is, read Helter Skelter or don't. <laughs> My preference is don't. Uh, I, I lived with it, and it wasn't easy to live with for four months. But uh, I ended up going to court and, a, and an evangelist named Arthur Blessed. I had met him in his coffee house in 1968, stumbled in high on LSD. And he prayed for me that night, and I was set free. It was a miracle. But then I turned myself in to the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department because I was facing 920 years in prison in Florida. I told you this is an exciting story. But Arthur Blessed began praying for me, and I was facing the toughest judge in the state of Florida. His name was Judge Roy H. Amidon. He was the hanging judge. And I knew I was going away for a long, long time. I expected 25 years, minimum. And uh, 
I got a letter from Arthur Blessett the day I was to face the judge, and the letter said, God is going to do a miracle. He said, we have 100 prayer groups praying for you all over Southern California. Well, I thought the only miracle God could do was kill Judge Amidon. He didn't, but I went in his courtroom that day, and instead of sentencing me to 25 years in prison, he gave me two years in the state penitentiary, of which I did every day of it. Got out. I ended up in California because I couldn't get a job, and that's when I started pulling armed robberies, and um, I wasn't a nice guy. I wasn't. I was a bad guy. And I would just as soon take your goods from you than not. But God had a plan. God had a plan that I knew nothing about. I mean, I kept running headlong into Jesus everywhere I went. This Arthur Blessed guy went to the judge in California, told the judge I had a call of God to preach. Could he please be lenient with me? And the judge gave me a year in the county jail and dropped all the rest of the charges. Amen. I didn't deserve that. Listen, I know what I deserved. I deserved prison for the rest of my life. I did those crimes. I never killed anybody. I never hurt anybody physically. But you know, you can hurt people in more ways than physical. You can mentally strap somebody. Uh, I met a young lady out in Colorado, in Colorado Springs. I was speaking at a church. And I invited people to come up who felt wounds in their life and to be set free from those wounds. And I'd given my testimony that morning, and this lady came up to me and she said, Bill, I haven't worked for a year. And I said, oh, really? What did you do? And she said, I was a bank teller. And she said, I was robbed. And the guy held a pistol to my head and robbed our bank. And he pulled the trigger and it didn't go off. And she said, I survived. She said, but I've been living in absolute terror ever since. And I said, Lord, what can I do? How can I get her free? She needs to be free. She, God has not given us a spirit of fear. And I, I said, God, how do I set her free? He said, ask her to forgive you. I went, what? Ask her to forgive me. I didn't rob her bank. He said, yes, but you robbed other banks. You struck terror in the hearts of others. And I stood before that lady that day with tears running down my cheeks. I said, could you ever forgive me? She said, you didn't rob me. I said, no, but I robbed others when I was a thief. And I said, but I'm asking you to forgive me on behalf of the guy that robbed you. And she started weeping, sobbing, threw her arms around my neck. And she said, I forgive you. That was on a Saturday night. I was speaking Monday night. I was speaking Friday through the following Friday. She came to me on Monday. She said, I just wanted you to know something. I said, what's that? She said, I went back to work today at the bank. She said, I'm free. Hallelujah. Now, why it took a former bank robber to have the uh, the chutzpah, that's a Jewish for guts, <laughs> to say, forgive me. But it was, it was the heart of God. 
And you see, that's what we're seeking after is God's heart. We don't want our way. I don't want my way. I've sought after my way for so long, and I said, God, please don't let me do that anymore. I want to seek after your heart. And I'm going to talk about that in just a few minutes, but let me just finish my little bit of my testimony. I was driving to commit suicide, overdosed with heroin. I'd been diagnosed with a bleeding ulcer. Doctor told me I'd be dead in 72 hours. And so I decided to kill myself because I had nothing to live for. I didn't have a wife. I didn't have kids. I didn't have a family, barely, that could tolerate me. No, All my friends were gone, the friends I had when I was a young man. No friends, nothing. I had nothing tangible I could set my hand to and say, this is what I accomplished. I accomplished nothing but a wreck behind me. And so I decided to end my life, and I was extremely serious. I wasn't putting on a show. I wasn't calling everybody, hey, I'm going to commit suicide. I was on my way to do it. And I passed a Christian coffee house that was on the side of the road in Lakeland, Florida. And they were out that night, the only night they ever did this. They went out and built a bonfire and sat around the bonfire with about five guitarists singing and worshiping Jesus like we were here tonight. They were singing the song Alleluia. Many of you oldies remember that one. And I'd never heard music like that before. I pulled over to the side of the road, and I got out, leaned up against the hood of my car, and they finished singing. This 18-year-old kid stood up, and he said, Jesus is here to set you free. And I went, oh, no, this is a church. (laughs) The church can't help me. I'm too far gone. And I turned to get in my car when a guy, the director of that coffee house, stood up, and he said, you know, in the last days, Joel 2.28 says, God's going to pour out of his spirit on all flesh. And he said, it doesn't matter what your flesh has done. Your flesh could be a thief, a drug addict, an alcoholic, an ex-convict, a bank robber. I stopped cold in my tracks, and I said, that's me. And he said, ask one of us to pray for you. And so the meeting kind of broke up, and I don't know how that kid stayed on his feet, but I snatched his arm and pulled him over to me like this, and I said, you, pray for me right now. And he started praying the most eloquent prayer, just phenomenal prayer. I'd never heard anybody pray like that. And all of a sudden, he switched over and started speaking in Arabic. It wasn't really Arabic. It was speaking in tongues. I didn't know. I had never, ever heard of anything like that. All I ever heard was Jesus will keep you from going to hell. That's all I'd ever heard, except through Arthur Blessed. And I heard about the love of Jesus. I just couldn't believe he loved me. Many people are like that. They just can't, even Christians, still can't believe Jesus loves them. But anyway, I stood there and all of a sudden this guy that quoted from Joel 2.28 comes over. And he said, God gave me a scripture for you. It was Isaiah 61 verse 1. The same verse Arthur Blessed had given me years before in California. And had written me on my letters, Isaiah 61, 1, the Spirit of the Lord's upon me because the Lord's uh, anointed me to preach good news and also to bind up the brokenhearted. And I thought, God, you're amazing. I fell to my knees and I did something I personally had never done. I repented of my sins. I had other people repent for me. But how many of you know that doesn't work? 
They can pray for you, but they can't repent for you. And I repented of my sins that night. And to my absolute astonishment, don't ask me how I knew, but I knew I was forgiven. I had a a picture in my head of Jesus on the cross looking down at me and smiling. and said, I did this for you. And then they walked over and they, I was on my knees and they laid their hands on my head. They said, Jesus, break every chain. I literally felt the chains inside of me breaking. I felt these two hands reach in and pull the chains out. And I was free. (laughs) Then they laid their hands on me. They said, now, Lord, baptize him in the Holy Spirit. And I went, whatever, come on. And it started bubbling and gurgling and bubbling and gurgling. And it got up to my mouth and I started saying words like hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Curse words had only flowed through my mouth. And here I'm speaking these epitaphs of praise. And, and then I started speaking in Arabic. <laughs> I started speaking in tongues. I had no clue what it was. But let me tell you, I learned immediately what the Holy Spirit was. He's the one that makes you fall in love with Jesus. If you're already in love with Jesus, the Holy Spirit will make you fall in love with him more. Because he'll keep showing you the way Jesus is and how much he cares for you and how much he wants to set you free. I came up off my knees, transformed, 180. That was March 17th, St. Patty's Day, matter of fact, of 1972. That was 42 years ago, March 17th. And I'm so much in love with Jesus now, I I can't believe I loved him so much back then, but I love him more now. And he keeps changing me, and he keeps ministering life. And he lets me get up and share my story. He lets me get up and share about Jesus. He lets me speak from the Bible. I don't deserve that. I didn't earn that. You couldn't buy this. No money on the earth could buy what God has given us by his grace. It's by his grace and his mercy and his love that I'm standing here alive tonight. I drove home that night. I don't remember the drive home. All I remember was I threw out a carton of Winston cigarettes, and I've never touched a cigarette since. I picked up $1,000 worth of heroin that I was going to shoot up in my veins. Whoosh, out the window it went. I said, I don't need that, and I've never touched drugs since. Hallelujah. (laughs) I picked up the suicide note that I'd written to my mom and dad. Dear mom and dad, I'm dying of a bleeding ulcer. And all of a sudden, I looked down and I said, the pain's gone. And I start pushing and hitting. Bam, bam, bam on my stomach. I can't make it hurt. And I didn't have the words healed yet. That came later. I just shouted, I'm okay. <laughs> I got home and stumbled up the steps to my mom and dad's house. My mother had married a Protestant. My dad was a non-serving Protestant, if you know what I mean. And my mother had been a Catholic uh, up until she was 18 years old. And, and when she married my dad, they told her, you have to leave. You have to go into his religion. And my mother was so disappointed, she gave up her relationship to the Catholic Church. And 
the, what it did for my parents, though, is it caused them never to ever force us to go to church or be part of a religious organization. They never did that. But they never, ever told us about Jesus either because they didn't know Jesus. But that night when I stumbled up the steps, my mother, I heard her say, oh, God, not again. She thought I was high on drugs or drunk. I was so high in the Holy Spirit, I couldn't even see straight. I walked in the door, and my sweet little Catholic mother looked up at me, and she said, my God, I see Jesus. (laughs) She had inherited her mother's Catholic Bible, and it had a picture of Jesus knocking on the door. You know that picture? with the inner tube on his head. That's what I always called it. That's an inner tube, you know. But whoever painted that picture of Jesus knocking on the door captured his eyes. And I asked my mother later, what did you mean you saw Jesus? She said, your eyes, they were totally changed. All the fear was gone. All the hatred was out of you. She said, Bill, it was only could be the eyes of Jesus in your head. And at that moment, my dad walked in. Now, that's what I want to share for about 20 minutes, if you'd allow me to. But my dad walked in. And needless to say, I had a very broken relationship with my father. And you say, why? My dad was a cop, and I was a thief. So we didn't have a good relationship. But I walked over to my father and I put my arms, I fell to my knees literally, put my arms around his legs and I wept and I said, Dad, could you ever forgive me for all I've done? And he fell on his knees and threw his arms around me and he said, Son, I didn't raise you right. I wasn't there for you. He said, I've been trying to get you to forgive me. And he said, I just didn't know how to say it. Will you please forgive me? Hallelujah. God healed our relationship right there. On the spot. And he died eight years later, a born-again Christian, filled with the Holy Spirit. And I had a wonderful relationship with him until he died. But I want you to turn, if you would, in your Bible to the book of John. 1 John, I'm sorry. 1 John 2. And... I want to read to you from the New Living Translation this verse. I want to read from verse 20. I'm sorry, this is the New English Translation. Nevertheless, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know what you need to know. I have not written to you that you do not know the truth, but that you do know the truth, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the person who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This one is the Antichrist, the person who denies the Father and the Son. Everyone who denies the Son does not have the Father either. The person who confesses the Son, however, has the Father also. I was seeking the Lord concerning my relationship with my dad and my dad had passed away and I I, one of the things I said to the father 
You know, the scripture says your fathers will train you up in the way you will go. And you'll, when you're old, you'll not depart from it. My father didn't train me. He didn't train me in the ways of God. They never opened that Catholic Bible. And here I sat in their home all those years and never was trained. And I was actually whining about it. Anybody ever whined? God! And I was whining like a two-year-old. And, and uh, the Lord, I don't know if he's ever done this to you, but he pulled up my chain very short. That's a southern term, which means he jerked the slack out of me. He went, what do you mean? You haven't been trained. I've been training you all these years, and I'm your father. And I stopped, and I said, wait a minute. I, all I understood of fathering came out of my dad. And let me say something out of the people in this room. If you had a great dad, you were an amazingly blessed person. But I would venture to say out of all of those in this room that half of us were not fathered properly. In this nation, the percentage is 68% fatherless. 68% fatherless so it's no wonder there's a problem when we talk about god the father our our response out of our mind is yeah okay i'll stick with jesus jesus is cool i like jesus but this father thing i don't i don't get it and i said that to the father the one thing I, I have learned in my walk with Jesus, be honest with God. How many of you know he knows everything anyway? And when you get honest with him, he's going to turn around and speak to you and show you what's right. So when he said, I'm going to train you up like a father, he showed me this verse. 1 John 2.23, whoever confesses the son, Jesus, gets Papa. He gets daddy. Actually translated Abba. Hebrew, Abba. How many of you know what Abba means? It means dada. It doesn't mean papa. It means dada. It's the uh, Aramaic term that a child forms on his lips when he sees his father and understands he's got a daddy. He calls him dada. And Jesus, the Son of God, says, I thereby have cried, Abba, Father. The very Son of God cried, Dada, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Come on, guys. If Jesus can have a Dada, what about me? And so, God started speaking to me about the Father. He took me to Scripture, like Matthew 6, 8, where it says, you disciples pray this way, our Father. And you see, if you understood the Jewish mindset, men especially understood their father to be Abraham. Abraham was the father that was set to uh, adore and appreciate as a Jewish man. But to be told by the Son of God, 
pray this way. You see results in me, then you pray this way. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. He said you start off that relationship with me into the Father. You've seen me, you've seen Papa. That's what he told his disciples. You've seen me, you've seen Daddy. You've seen Dada. Look through me. I am a crystal purity that you can look through. Jesus was crystal clear when he pointed out Daddy. And I started thinking, God, my dad's gone. I need you more than ever. Will you be my daddy? And he started working in my heart, his father love, the father kind of love. And then I became a father. And it, boy, the whole ball game changed. I realized what it takes to be a dad. It is the most difficult ministry on the earth to be a daddy. Especially if you've got children you love so much that you really don't want to discipline them. But you have to. And I began to realize that Jesus said, if you love me, you will be disciplined by my Father. He will correct you. And I don't know about you, but I'm not the type that likes correction. But I have learned to embrace correction. Proverbs 12.1 says, He who loves discipline loves knowledge. He who hates reproof is stupid. New American Standard, you read it yourself. It says you reject discipline, you're dumb as a post. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's my translation. But I have to share what happened, and, and I'll close with something really special tonight. I was over in Germany. I'd been ministering in Germany for about three weeks. Darlene was back at home with our children. And we had had some phenomenal, successful meetings in Germany. Uh, if I remember correctly, that particular trip, we had close to 1,000 people came to Christ in Germany. That's a miracle. Because they all believe they're saved. Because they go to a Lutheran church. You know what I mean? The, the, the church of Germany is the Lutheran church. And, and you're born into the Lutheran church. But how many of you know, even if you're born in the church, you still got to be born again. You have to be. So here I had great success in Germany, had a wonderful time with the people I was there with. So I'm on the flight to fly home in Frankfurt, Germany, Frankfurt Main Airport. I'm on a Northwest Airlines jet. I ended up with two and a half million miles on Northwest Airlines. That's nothing to some people. But I'm sitting on the window seat. It's a two-seat aisle. Five seats in the middle and two seats on the other side. I had a window seat. And this German man came and sat down next to me. And he introduced himself with broken English. And he said, I'm a Baka in Hamburg. And I went, what? I'm a Baka. I run a Bakarai. Oh, you're a baker in Hamburg. I got it. So he's talking to this lady on the aisle seat in the five row, 
And I said, is that your wife? And he said, yes, it is. And I said, well, after we take off, because I want to see Germany as we take off, I'll switch seats with her. You two can sit together, and I'll take her seat. He said, how kind of you. All right. So we taxing down the runway, and all of a sudden the pilot comes on, pulls the plane over to the side. Never a good thing. And he said, uh, we, we do not have air traffic clearance. We won't have it for about 60 minutes. But then when we take off, we'll make up the time. We'll arrive at our destination on time. And I thought, well, okay, I got 60 minutes, and this guy doesn't speak much English, and I don't speak much German. So I, I just turned to him and said, I think I'll lay down real quick and take a nap. So I laid my head on the window. And instead of a nap, I didn't fall asleep. I had a three-part technicolor vision. Three parts. I'm going to share that vision with you tonight. The first part of the vision, I saw myriads of people, thousands of people, running up to Jesus. And Jesus had his hands out like this, both hands. And in his hands were gifts. Wrapped in all manner of wrapping. But gifts, you could tell they were gifts. And every once in a while, somebody from the crowd would walk up and grab one of the gifts and run off with their gift. And, and, and the sense that I had was Jesus was so thrilled to give gifts. And he was thrilled. All those people were looking for gifts. But then I sensed there's something more. And the vision changed. And I saw about a third of that amount of people longingly looking up into the face of God. And they were glowing and radiating the light that was coming off of him. And I said, Lord, what are they doing? He said, these are those that will seek my face. They're looking for direction. They're looking for blessing. They're looking for my love, and I'm giving it to them. And I went, wow, God. But he said, there's more. And the vision changed. And there I was as an eight-year-old boy. It was me. And what I saw actually had happened to me when I was eight years old. I saw myself running through the living room of our home. My dad was sitting in his easy chair. And I ran up and I jumped up on his lap and did what I always loved to do as a little boy was lay my head on his chest and listen to his heartbeat. And this actually happened to me in the vision. I saw my dad grab my arms and push me away. And he said, you're too big for that now. And in the vision, I saw myself bow my head like I did when I was a little boy. And I walked away and I didn't hear my dad say he loved me until the night I was converted. And I'm walking away in the vision with my head down. And all of a sudden, from behind me, I hear Billy. Come back. And the second I turned around, I aged to the age I was on that plane. But here was the heavenly father sitting on his throne with his arms out like this. And he said, come back, son. I love you. And I ran up and jumped up into the lap of the father, the heavenly father. I laid my head back on his chest and I began to listen to his heartbeat. 
And the Lord said to me, I love it when my people come for my gifts. I adore it when they come to seek my face. He said, but I'm looking for those who will seek after my heartbeat. And in, on his lap, I began to weep. I came out of the vision. <laughs> I was bawling on a Northwest Airlines jet, taxiing to take off down the runway. One hour. I was in a trance or a spirit, whatever you want to call it. I'm crying. And I turn over, and here's the baker from Hamburg looking at me like this. <laughs> he had no clue what had just happened to me. Now, how many of you know, I couldn't just say to him, oh, I just had a three-part tacticolor vision. <laughs> I didn't think that would have been right. So I said, boy, am I going to miss Germany. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what he said to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, now, that's funny, isn't it? And after we took off, I switched seats with his wife and, and uh, had a wonderful time going home. But I wrote that vision down, and I, I shared that vision quite a few places. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me tonight to share this here tonight. He said to me, there were going to be people here who needed a love pat from the Father. And let me, let me finish this story real quickly, okay? I changed planes in Boston. I had to fly from Boston to Detroit, Detroit to Tampa. And so when I got on the plane in Boston, I upgraded to first class because of so many miles. And uh, the, I'm in 4A. I know what seat I was in. 4B was empty. There was a man in 3B. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you have a divine appointment with him. I went, well, how am I going to have a divine appointment with him? He's in 3B and I'm in 4A. And as soon as I said that, two businessmen came on and spoke to this man in 3B. He said, would you mind changing seats with me? I'm in 4B, but we're doing some business together. He said, oh, no, no problem. He moved back and sat down next to him. <laughs> Now, before I left for Germany, my wife and I had talked about going to her class reunion. And we sat down and talked about the budget. And the budget did not include going to the class reunion. It was going to be $500. And I would said to her, let's just pray. If God wants us there, he'll provide. And, you know, that's trusting God. So I'm sitting there, and the guy says, uh, hi, I'm so-and-so. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm Bill Davis. I'm from Tampa. I said, uh, what do you do? He said, well, I own Crystal Salt and Sugar Company. <laughs> World's largest sugar and salt company. I said, oh, really? Yeah, he said, we're going to Detroit to sign a contract with McDonald's to renew our contract to provide all the sugar and salt for all the McDonald's worldwide. And I went, wow. <laughs> he said, what do you do? Nothing. <laughs> He said, no, really, what do you do? I said, well, I'm just coming back from Germany. I've been speaking over there. And he said, well, what do you speak about? And I said, things. <laughs> 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 and 
And he said, uh, I said, my wife and I do marriage seminars. Oh, you do? He said, three of my executives are sitting right over there in those seats. He said, all three of those are in divorce court right now. He said, can you tell me anything that might help them? And I said, yes, don't. (laughs) I said, don't do it. Find some way to work it out. Seek out counsel. Go to a seminar. Take them to a seminar. Bring them to one of ours. It's free. (laughs) He went, "That, that sounds appealing. And so we're. By this time, we're coming into our descent into Detroit. And he turns to me and he said, now, if somebody was to give to your ministry, who would they make the check out to? I said, well, Bill Davis Ministries. (laughs) And he said, okay. And he picks up his briefcase. Now, remember, my wife and I wanted to go to our class reunion at the beach. That's where it was, Clearwater Beach. <laughs> You're going to love this. So he writes out this check, folds it up, and hands it to me. And, and I didn't want to, you, you know, I didn't want to open it and say, oh, I just stuck it in my pocket. I said, well, thank you. So he got up and went to the bathroom. Man, I pulled that sucker out, $500. And in the memo, it said, take your wife to the beach. (laughs) That was a love pat from the Heavenly Father. He gave me a love pat. It's not always money, guys, but he gave me such a love pat. And he's been giving me those love pats since I came to the revelation of his fathering and his care for me as a daddy and his love for me to train me up in the way I should go. And I'm getting old. Uh, I'm not there yet. I'm getting older. I'm 42. I mean, in Christ, come on. But I want to read you something in closing, and then we're going to pray and ask the Lord to come give us a love pat tonight. And, and I, I, I'm going to show you how we're going to do this in just a minute. But I want to read you something. This has ended up being one of my favorite stories, and you'll know why as I read it. And I'm not declaring this to be a true story, but it's well written. I think it is, but I'm not going to declare it that. It's called The Story of a Son. A wealthy man and his son loved to collect rare works of art. They had everything in their collection from Picasso to Raphael. They would often sit together and admire the great works of art. When the Vietnam conflict broke out, the son went to war. He was very courageous and died in battle while rescuing another soldier. The father was notified and grieved deeply for his only son. About a month later, just before Christmas, there was a knock at his door. A young man stood at the door with a large package in his hands. He said, Sir, you don't know me, but I'm the soldier for whom your son gave his life. He saved many lives that day, and he was carrying me to safety when a bullet struck him in the heart, and he died instantly. He often talked about you and your love for art. The young man held out his package. I know this isn't much. I'm not really a great artist, but I think your son 
would have wanted you to have this. The father opened the package. It was a portrait of the son painted by the young man. He stared in awe at the way the soldier had captured the personality of his son in the painting. The father was so drawn to the eyes that his own eyes welled up with tears. He thanked the young man and offered to pay him for the picture. Oh, no, sir, I could never repay what your son did for me. It's a gift. The father hung the portrait over his mantle. Every time visitors came to his home, he took them to see the portrait of his son before he showed them any of the other great works he had collected. The man died a few months later. There was to be a great auction of his paintings. Many influential people gathered, excited over seeing the great paintings and having an opportunity to purchase one for their collection. On the platform sat the painting of the sun. The auctioneer pounded the gavel. We will start the bidding with this picture of the sun. Who will bid for this picture? There was silence. Then a voice in the back of the room shouted, We want to see the famous paintings. Skip this one. But the auctioneer persisted. Will someone bid for the painting? We will start the bidding. $100. $200. Another voice shouted angrily, We didn't come to see this painting. We came to see the Van Goghs, the Rembrandts. Get on with the real bids. But the auctioneer continued, The sun, the sun, who will take the sun? Finally, a voice came from the very back of the room. It was the longtime gardener of the man and his son. I'll give $10 for the painting. Being a poor man, it was all he could afford. We have $10. Will someone bid 20 Give it to him for the 10 Let's get on with the matter. $10 is the bid. Won't someone bid 20 The crowd was becoming angry. They didn't want the picture of the sun. They wanted the more worthy investments for their collections. The auctioneer pounded the gavel. Going once, twice, sold for $10. A man sitting on the second row shouted, Now let's get on with the collection. The auctioneer laid down his gavel. I'm sorry, the auction is over. What about the famous paintings? I'm sorry, when I was called to conduct this auction, I was told of a secret stipulation in the will. I was not allowed to reveal that stipulation until this time. Only the painting of the sun would be auctioned. Whoever bought that painting would inherit the entire estate, including all the paintings. The man who took the sun gets everything. (laughs) Hallelujah. God gave his son 2,000 years ago to die on a cruel cross. That was the father. Much like the auctioneer, his message today is the son, the son. Who will take the son? Because you see, whoever takes the son gets everything. When you get the son, you get the father. John, 1 John 2. 23. When I took the son that night, I got Papa. I didn't even know it, but I got Papa. And whoever confesses the son has the father also. Now, if anybody's willing to confess the son with me tonight, would you stand just for a moment? And let me let me say there may be some of you in this room that you have a difficulty with the natural father with the earthly father. You say, I can't relate to the heavenly father. But I'm telling you, this papa is nothing like the earthly fathers that have rejected us and abused us 
and wounded us and broken our hearts. That is not who this heavenly father is. He's a loving daddy who loves his sons and daughters. And all he wants you to do is confess the son. Will you do that with me? Say this with me. Jesus, I confess you as my salvation, my Savior, my Lord, the King of kings, the Master of all things. I confess you. And thereby, I get Papa. I get Dada. I get Abba. He's my daddy. Now, wait for the love pat. Because there's coming a love pat to you. There's coming a love pat. The Holy Spirit's bringing a love pat to you. Some of you are going to feel it in your heart. And you're going to go, I didn't know it could be this good. I didn't know Daddy could be that loving. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Scripture says, I'll be the father to the fatherless and the husband to the husbandless. And that just about covers it, doesn't it? He said, I'll cover every base for you. If you're here tonight and you just want a daddy hug, <laughs> you may never have had one. I went up to a young man at St. Olaf College two Februarys ago. And I walked up to him, and I didn't do this with anyone else but him. I went up to him, and I said, Son, would you let me give you a daddy hug? And he broke and started weeping. He said, Yes. I hugged him, and he sent me an email later, and he said, My life was totally changed that night just by that hug. He said, I'd never been hugged by my dad. I'd never heard my dad say he loved me, and you said both things. Let me hug you and show you the Father's love. So if you want a hug tonight, I'm willing. I'm available. I'm a daddy. And I represent the daddy up here, the heavenly daddy. So what we want is his kingdom on earth, the way it is in heaven. And the way it is in heaven, I can guarantee you there's a bunch of hugs going on up in heaven. <laughs> there's a lot of dancing and shouting and laughing and singing and praising and I, you know, I'm not ready to go yet, but when I get there, I can't, it's going to be beyond measure. And I get the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit on the earth. Come on, guys. Turn to somebody and say, wow. Hallelujah. All right. I'm done. I don't know where else to take this except if anybody wants a hug, come see me. I'll give you a hug. Amen. Paul will give you a hug. Dan will give you a hug. Are you a dad? No. Forget it. No, I'm kidding. He'll give you a hug. He knows the Heavenly Father.
I got my friend Ron over here. If you're real tall and you want a real tall hug, he knows the father. That's my man, Ron, over there in the corner. Uh, he's my bodyguard tonight, so don't mess with me. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Dan, thank you for letting me come tonight. What a privilege. Thank you. All right, we're going to turn right away into prayer, um, to pray for each other, to lift each other up, to encourage each other, um, just to invite our Papa to come and, and visit us. So turn to your neighbors. Um, Bill will be up here um, to pray for people. Um, some other people might. Paul, do you want to be up to pray for people too as a, as a father? So if you want prayer um, from one of these guys, you can come up. Otherwise, just turn right now to people around you and, and just start to pray for each other.